Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. The team at Cobra Golf are set to introduce additions to its collection of king putters, making the offerings available in a sleek black colorway, the perfect complement to the limited edition black LTDX drivers and king black wedges. The lineup of black putters includes both king 3D printed and king vintage series models, along with two new mallet styles, the king Cuda and Cuda 40. All King Collection putters come standard with the Cobra Superstroke Traction Tour 2.0 grip and KBS Tour 120 shaft. The new additions to the King 3D printed and vintage series will be available from July this year. For more information on the entire King family of products, visit cobragolf.com. This is the 19th tee. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy back with you, Drew. It's good to have your company as always, especially uh, excited this evening because the Long-awaited, hotly anticipated review of your trip to America is finally upon us. I feel like we've been talking about this um, almost as long as you're actually away on the trip. (laughs) It's nice to carve out some time in the schedule to sit and physically get to record that this evening. So that is coming, but we do have a few things we need to touch on um, before we get to the silly business, not least of which, uh, Drew's we can ring the bell again mm. uh, because we've got another winner. Uh, Hannah Green wins her third time uh, on the LPGA Tour and she wins at the Wilshire Country Club in the inaugural. Uh, I'm just getting the tournament name right so I can uh, make sure we give it its due. Uh, she wins, goodness me. The JM Eagle, I've got a sponsor recognition. JM Eagle LA Championship yes. presented there by we go. Blast Pro. So not sure. We've got, we got the full name in. Yeah, I'm not we sure. Got, got the full name. I think in. It, maybe just the LA Championship's good enough. I like that. The Wilshire Country Club. Uh, look, I think I kind of thought to myself what immediately sprung to mind when I watched it. So, I mean, for those who haven't caught up on the news, um, Hannah Sunker a decent, I'd say at least a 15 to probably 18 foot birdie putt on the 72nd hole to force a playoff uh, and then one with a birdie on the first playoff hole. Um, so very similar, I suppose, clutch finish to what Grace Kim did just a few weeks back when she won her maiden LPGA Tour title and then got it done early doors in the playoff. But I don't know about you, what immediately sprung to mind for me was that age-old saying of former's temporary class is permanent uh, because you'd be forgiven coming into this um, for not necessarily tipping Hannah Green as your winner by the end of this tournament. Her most recent outing was a miscut at the first women's major of the year at the Chevron. She has been in relatively indifferent form in the lead up, but I think if you take a step back and look at it at the macro level, it's been building. It hasn't necessarily been the major winning form or the two-time um, leading into this tournament uh, LPGA winning form that we're used to from Hannah, but it's certainly been trending in the right direction. Uh, but this was, a, I think, a victory that personified 
not only her immense talents as a golfer, but probably her greatest talent, which is her her sheer doggedness and and and, and competitive mindedness to get herself in a position to a playoff and then, and then go on and win. It was really impressive to see Dreads. Yeah, I saw a little bit of this one actually, um, mainly the third round when she uh, reeled off five birdies in the last six holes um, to sort of really, I get, I guess, get herself into contention because uh, through that middle stretch, holes eight through 11, she had a bogey and a doubled bogey. So three over through four holes and then just managed to turn it around and, and sort of uh, finish two under par for that round. But that kind of propelled her into the final final round, um, and she only made two birdies. Pretty clean scorecard. I mean, when you look at that final round, two birdies, that was it, of course, the one to get into the playoff, and the rest of the holes were pars. So, um, yeah, it was it was a really, um, I guess, a little bit bumpy early on, but she, uh, she managed to really turn it around uh, after hole number 11 in that third round. The thing that stood out to me, driving, um, 53 or 56 fairways hit, including every fairway in the final round. Um, and just, yeah, just striking the ball really, really well. And, um, you know, it's certainly not a surprise to see her, uh, holding, holding the trophy. She was obviously very emotional about it. And, um, you know, rightly so as I think, you know, everything that you had, you just touched on there, she, uh, sort of spoke about post game as well and, um, beat a very, very good field, um, I think it was Cheyenne Knight uh, who was actually kind of dominating through the first three rounds mm. and sort of toppled in the final round. And um, as you say, that that cream just really rises to the top. So, um, yeah, four rounds in the 60s for Hannah and a, and a massively deserved win. Her first on the LPGA since 2019. Uh, obviously, she's had a win here at home in the interim. She made international headlines when she won that um, mixed gender event, yeah. um, the TPC Murray not TBC, sorry, TBS, <laughs> Murray River event uh, down there. That was last year. So she's had wins since, but it's been a little while between drinks on the LPGA. And to your point, very emotional. And I think that's probably just reflective of the amount of work. It's clear that she's been grinding. Um, she hasn't been, I suppose, naive of where she's been at and probably very frustrated given she knows what she's capable of. Mm-hmm. And often you see it time and time again in the game, Drids. It only takes a, a little breakthrough like this to um, remember what it takes to go on and win. Remember that you are capable. Remember that you are on your day one of the best players in the world. And hopefully it is um, the beginning of a little run for her because, you know, the game in in this country is no doubt richer when she's playing well. And, and that, yeah, I think that's reflected in the outpouring of congratulations we saw yeah. for the victory across the Australian golfing community. So props to Hannah. Really, really solid win um, there at the LA Championship and, you know, hopefully plenty of good golf ahead. Uh, just in terms of other Australians in the field in that event, uh, Sarah Kemp was the next best tie for 13th. Minji Lee tied for 44th. Steph Kiriaku was a tie for 53rd. And Grace Kim, unfortunately, did not make... The weekend. Um, just briefly, Drew's uh, on the DP World Tour. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily bring that tour up at this time of year. Obviously, we had some good news in recent weeks with Lucas Herbert's win in Japan on that tour. But uh, I did want to mention uh, David Michaluzzi. Obviously, we spoke to Mika in recent weeks just as he was about to jet off to Korea to play in the event there on the DP World Tour. Ended up in a tie for 21st. So, looked 
good. I think um, was he was he T eleven through the first round, mm-hmm. uh, and you know obviously um, he's finished a little ways back, uh, but certainly didn't disgrace himself there. Um, you know he's he's what's he finished seven shots off the the winner Pablo Larrathabal, uh, but you know he takes home. Best part of twenty thousand euros, and and more importantly, a bit of form where he now heads to the states, uh, to Texas specifically to play the um, Byron Nelson. Uh, not this weekend coming, but the weekend after. So good to keep an eye on Mika there, um, and good to see him. I suppose translate a little bit of that form we were speaking about when the in the chat with him uh, to the DP World Tour. Yeah, really just one poor round with the seventy six on in a third round, and um, yeah, moves up inside the hundred and twentieth. Uh, inside the 120 on the race to Dubai or whatever it's called now, um, which is fantastic for him. Three rounds under par and that lone 76. So he'll be disappointed with that third round, but no doubt, um, yeah, it takes a bit of that form to the US. And and I think, you know, obviously really exciting to see him get his maiden PGA Tour start um, at the Byron Nelson, which is going to be awesome to watch. I think it'll give us a little extra motivation to uh, – to get up a little early and watch catch some of the broadcasts. So good on Mika. Speaking of the PGA Tour, just briefly, Drew, Tony Finau, a winner in Mexico. Uh, not going to go into this tournament in any great depth because it truly didn't inspire um, much emotion within me, other than to say I think it may well be one of Finau's most impressive of his now six victories on the PGA Tour. Uh, I say that because he... He stared down and ultimately held at bay um, who is widely regarded now as the best player in the world currently, and that's John mm-hmm. Rahm. Uh, often in those situations, um, my mind harks specifically back to Riviera two years ago when uh, Max Homer ran over the top of him. Uh, you know, John didn't necessarily apply the full heat we know he's capable of in that final round, but he was coming. He was looming, and um, Tony Finau did a wonderful job of closing out that tournament. So... Um, his his game, you know, uh, you're a big hashtag data man. Um, <laughs> data wise, he might be the best player we've seen, at least with the irons in his hand for the last uh, eighteen months on balance. So probably starting to see that play out from a results perspective, uh, and an enduringly likable personality on the on the PGA Tour. So good to see Big Tone get the victory there. Uh, before I get your thoughts on. On Tony Finadrid, it's just a brief mention of the Australians in that field. Jeff Ogilvie and Aaron Badley were the two best at a, a tie for 39. Cam Percy, tie for 60. Uh, Greg Chalmers and Harris and Endicott both missed the cut. Tony Finau, six win, Druids. Yeah, pretty um, yeah, impressive, I thought. You know, obviously not the strongest field going around, but um, as you said, held off John Rahm and not unsurprising to see those two at the top of the leaderboard, which I think we're kind of expecting from that that tournament. Um yeah, sort of finds itself in a funny position on the schedule, doesn't attract a huge amount of attention, uh, particularly from over here in Australia. But um, yeah, had a had a uh, a decent little field for the Mexico Open, but nothing to write home about in terms of strength of field. But uh, yeah, Tony starting to rack up the wins um, now, number six, and and that's probably going to continue to grow very quickly. I'd suggest. Andrew, it's just finally. Uh... <laughs> Blink, and you'd be forgiven for missing it, but yeah. the Australian, uh, or the PGA Tour of Australasia, I should uh, give it its correct title, kicks off this weekend uh, yeah. <laughs> in Port Moresby, of all places. Tell us more. Uh, yes, PNG Open uh, kicks off um, on Thursday, 
at the Royal Port Moresby Golf Club. Um, so 180,000 up for grabs. Um, so it's obviously the the first event on the uh, schedule of the new season on the Tour of Australasia, as you mentioned. Um, they have not announced the remainder of the season, or I guess probably the more traditional um, season as we as we know it. But uh, yeah, a couple of interesting names heading over. I mean, it's not the uh, not certainly not the biggest field. I mean, a very strong showing in terms of uh, players from uh, PNG. Uh, Jade McKenzie, obviously a, a previous winner. Um, on the uh, Tour of Australasia on the WAPGA a couple of years ago. Lincoln Tyre heading over, Chris Wood, James Marcassani, Jack Munro. Um, but then, yeah, it's certainly not uh, certainly not the strongest um, strongest field heading over to PNG, but it'll be great to uh, for some of those guys to try and get a kickstart on, uh, on the year. So, um, yeah, it'll be uh, one to keep an eye on. It's the start of a new season, um, and then we uh, wait with bated breath for the... Uh, announcement of the remainder of the uh of the 23-24 season marshy yeah i think it's a really interesting time obviously you've got players who've come out of a very long mm. uh summer because it was so full we've spoken about that a lot how well the administration did to deliver a full season um so it's an interesting time in terms of you've either got players probably taking a break or players like Mick are going and taking opportunities overseas where they present themselves but you've also got a crop of players, Drudes. I think the next probably couple of months is really interesting in the context of that schedule release because whilst you're kind of outlining the most pressing event ahead of us in Port Moresby, I was just taking a look back at the final stage of qualifying school, yeah, um, which did happen um, a week and a half ago at Moona Lynx. There's a lot of names who didn't necessarily perform as we'd expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be fair to say a lot of guys we're used to seeing at events who yeah, could be singing for their supper in the short term. Sure. So events like this, not obviously not necessarily going to get an invite. Um, PNG as is there right and as they should are going to stack the field with local players, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of players um, similarly waiting with bated breath to see what the schedule looks like because with a bit of uncertainty around their status moving forward, they're going to want to know what playing opportunities they've got to, to rectify that. So yeah, really interesting time. And I'm, I'm sure the administration's hard at work at kind of locking those things in and balancing an appropriate break now um, with continuing to give opportunities to those guys who are um, here in Australia and not taking those overseas opportunities. Yeah. Well, it's a good opportunity, as you mentioned, for those top 25 guys who just got their card to, you know, get a get a head start on the season um, before I guess maybe some of the bigger names start coming back into um, those fields. I mean, I guess, um, yeah, I guess it was kind of it just kind of came out of the blue a little bit for me that that it was that it <laughs> yes. was starting um, without you know sort of a broader um, schedule being put together um, as part of that. Obviously, um, I was just having a look at Port Moresby's weather um, as well. Obviously very much uh, tropical so um mm. needing needing to be played during sort of may june july august even into september and october so it could um potentially tack on as the very very first uh event closer to the beginning of the actual uh commencement of the season but uh, i see why they've they've dropped it in where it is um but uh yeah we we kick off again and so begins the merry-go-round once again marshy that we'll keep a very close eye on Looking forward to it. Yeah, plenty happening between that. There's a lot of Aussies 
overseas as a president, obviously mentioned um, Mika uh, and and the ladies on the LPGA. I, I know Cassie Porter is currently on a bit of a trip around the States with our good mm-hmm. friend um, Matt Winkley of Winkfood, who's accompanying her, um, splitting his time between carrying her bag and doing her strength and conditioning work. Uh, I saw Karis Davidson's about to take off to the States. Crystal Blum's about to take off to Europe. So a lot of Australians getting on planes, which is mm-hmm. great. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, that's what we want to see after a, a busy summer is people taking opportunities on those leading tours around the world. So certainly be keeping an eye on uh, many of those and more as things progress in the coming weeks. Uh, Drew, so just a little bit of housekeeping um, before we get stuck into um, the American trip review. So little delivery from our great friends at Oakley uh, during yes. the week. Um You'll see here, this is one of the little black boxes that we like to see. The sunnies come in. So there's a number of those little black boxes that are sitting in a cupboard of mine here in Bris Vegas. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for a couple of giveaways coming up. Um, I don't think I'll be speaking out of school to say the first of which will probably be the week of the PGA Championship at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester um, coming up. Uh, not obviously this weekend. That's the... Wells Fargo at Quail Hollow. It's not the weekend after, which is the Byron Nelson in Texas, but it's the weekend after that. So the second men's major of the year is fast upon us, and we will look to have a bit of a giveaway in that week, inclusive of um, your choice of a variety of different pairs of sunglasses from our great friends at Oakley. Yes, very excited to have them on board. Good friends at Oakley, good people. Get around it if you... I've, um, I have recently kind of uh, switched to wearing sunnies on the golf course. I've not yeah. really been a Sunny's guy on, on the course just for whatever reason, but I've, um, yeah, I've definitely moved towards it. I'm not, not really into the sport Sunny's. I know that you kind of, you didn't mind the, the, the dealers, I guess, as they commonly call. Love, love my Gary Lyons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of just rocked the, uh, sort of more circular Oakley's that I, uh, that I got in the last delivery. So I'm looking forward to getting uh, my half of the delivery coming over very soon and I'll uh, be wearing those on the course. Don't you very worry about that. So pumped. I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really good point you make. I similarly have never really been a sunglasses on the course person. And the one thing I'll, I'll probably differ from you on, you said you don't really know why I'm pretty certain I do now. And that's probably because I never had an appropriate pair of good sunglasses. It was always, it was always like, Oh, do I wear the Ray-Bans out on the course? And it's probably not Ray-Ban appropriate. So sure. ever since we've um, struck up this great partnership with our good friends at Oakley, we've been provided with game-appropriate eyewear. I think there's a unsurprising correlation between the frequency which I wear it in golfing situations. So There you go. Nicely done. Thanks to our good friends at Oakley. That's, a, that's as natural as they come in terms yeah. of blokes. So, <laughs> right, here we go. As I said, at the top, um, this is... This has been a little while in the works. Uh, this was, I don't want to sound like I'm blind to make up my own ass to try and take credit, but this is a brainchild that I had while yes, you were away. You did. Um, and it should have been a brainchild that I had because you were in the middle of your honeymoon, which should have been your focus. Um, not shit houses, a content opportunity for the 19th tee. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought, you know, you spent the better part of, what was it, four, four and a half weeks? Yeah, roughly, roughly around that. In the States, um, and it would be a missed opportunity at best not to record an episode reflecting on, um, I suppose, your trip mm. at, a, at a 
broad level. Sure. So we're probably going to split this into two different parts because you did have some golfing experiences specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've probably just had some questions more broadly around um, around the trip itself. And for everyone's context, I put a list of questions to Druids. That's as much as we've gone into it. So <laughs> I'm going to be hearing this for the first time as you all are now listening, which is uh, the way in which I designed it. And that was my intention. Mm-hmm. Um so I think we'll kick off with the golfing components. Uh, yes. They weren't necessarily consecutive. They were spread out throughout the trip. Um, but you had three distinct experiences and three what I would call very unique experiences mm. um, in and of themselves. I want to start, um, an obvious place would be uh, the apparel that you're wearing this evening. And it was, to my understanding, the first golf experience that you had on the trip. Yes. Um, it was taking a trip to... Pebble Beach, yeah, one of um, not only the most iconic golf courses in America, um, I'd say comfortably. I'm not going to get into an argument about best or worst, but sure. certainly iconicism. It's one of the most iconic golf courses in the world. Yes. So take us inside um, your, your trip to Pebble, and yep. I'm sure some questions for me will arise as, as you're speaking. Well, so I guess um, for for context for people so they understand, we. Um, Flew into LA and then we had a couple of nights there and then drove, hired a car and, and drove from LA up to San Francisco. Had a night in uh, a small college town called San Luis Obispo along the way. Um, and then, so on our drive from San Luis Obispo to San Francisco, we uh, decided to stop in at uh, the Monterey Peninsula, Pebble Beach. So, uh, very interesting drive along the way. I'm just looking back at the map here. I can't remember what the, uh, there's a racetrack. Um, yeah, but, Monterey Racetrack. Yeah, no, yeah, it's they have the um, they have some races, some some quite famous races, but I, I can't remember what it's actually called, to be honest. But um, a lot of golf courses around this area, the uh, the preserve is on the way, and then of course you get into Monterey, which I can only describe as um, it's just a very, very, very wealthy area. I think is <laughs> um. All the houses are genuinely multi-million dollar houses, and they're not they're, they're mansions. They're essentially mansions. So, um, great little sort of drive. You you drive in, and you are greeted by um, by a couple of guys at at sort of um, like a gate. You got to pay to get into Monterey Peninsula, essentially, even if you're not playing golf. So, um, I think it was about ten bucks or something. And then essentially, you follow. They just say follow the red line on the road, and that will take you do do this. I don't know. It's like an eighteen mile drive essentially, and it takes you all along the coast and and pretty phenomenal. So, um, first stop in that space was Pebble Beach for us. Um, seventeen mile drive. It's called. Uh, and you basically, as you just come around a corner and then all of a sudden you're along, running along hole 14, you're right next to it, um, which is which is pretty crazy to, to think about actually. Uh, and you sort of follow that around and, and I mean, there's golf is just everywhere and you can sort of see that around and as you kind of drive into Pebble, um, there is a kind of like a par three sort of practice area next door um i think it was called the hay or something similar um and then as you drive sort of further down uh, and get i guess closer to more some of the accommodations um and the putting greens and all that sort of stuff 
there's the the visitor center, which was actually really, really cool. Um, we went in there and spent about half an hour and they've obviously got trophies of the, um, you know, the U S opens that they've hosted and all the history and stuff, which was great. Um, and then you can, because it's a public golf course, you can kind of walk around sort of wherever you want within reason, if that makes sense. So mm. we, we walked around, um, down to, um, down to kind of a lookout area and then sort of 50 meters to the left of us is 18 green. Um, and you can walk basically within 10 meters of the green. And so we watched a couple of groups come through, um, down 18, which was obviously pretty, pretty cool before heading back up to the, um, the shops, did a bit of shopping in there and then, um, watched some people tee off hole number one and very, I, I think in terms of tee shots, right. Um, I can't imagine there'd be too many more nerve wracking tee shots. Uh, <laughs> you are introduced onto the tee, um, by your full name and your home state or home club. Yeah, right. You're given a round of applause by the caddies and anyone standing around watching. And then you've got to stand up and hit a tee shot, um, which for you and I would pose a lot of trouble because these multi-million dollar houses line the right-hand side of the fairway. Um, so, uh, yeah, one gentleman did put his tee ball into one of the houses. Um, so proceeded to re-tee and, and found one down the, the middle of the fairway. I guess in terms of things that stood out to me around Pebble, um, the size of 18 green is so much smaller than what it appears on TV. The grandstands that they dump around the side, uh, around the back of those, uh, around the back of the green behind the bunker there, make it look huge and it's actually a really, really small green. So that mm. kind of stood out to me um, first and foremost, but there's, there is a bit of, I don't know, it's, there's a bit of an aura about the place. Like you, you're standing on one of the fa most famous golf courses in the world and it's just immaculate. You know, they'd had some pretty shit weather go through there. We got it on a very good day. Um, I mean, it would have been amazing to play there, but it's very, very expensive, um, yeah, particularly you know, if you don't take your own clubs and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very, very cool to see. Um, and then I think what I kind of enjoyed not only about Pebble is that you sort of continue the, the drive around through these multi-million dollar houses, um, and you drive past Cypress Point, uh, golf club, mm. which, um, is sort of just a vast difference to Pebble Beach where you can walk on the first tee Cypress Point has numerous signs essentially saying members only stay away unless you have been specifically invited to be in here. Uh, but very cool to kind of drive past that, get to drive past Spyglass uh, Hill, uh, which is obviously another very famous golf course, Spanish Bay, which is also um, in there, Monterey Peninsula Golf Club. Very, very nice. Um, I mean, yeah, it's... It's pretty cool, I guess, just to kind of go through those five or six different golf courses and see how many, how different they all are. Obviously, Pebble's probably the most famous and Cyprus, probably not too far behind that. But some of those other ones that are around there, um, particularly the links at Spanish Bay um, really stood out in terms of like, you know, this is very, very different to the other ones. Um, and obviously you're just driving in a car, so you can't 
get the best look in the world. But uh, yeah, pretty cool when you start just driving around all of them. And then in the middle of it uh, is Poppy Hills Golf Course as well, which kind of um, is away from the ocean. But uh, yeah, within sort of a 15-minute drive, you've got about five or six of the best probably golf courses that you'll find in the US. And then um, even further up, you've got Pacific Grove Golf Links as well, which is – not sort of on that 17-mile loop. But, yeah, very, very cool place to kind of experience and see and I guess probably exceeded expectations to what I was thinking about in terms of Pebble would would deliver. It's really interesting. I mean, you've probably skimmed across about three or four different <laughs> questions there, but I, I think maybe immediately it sounds to me like I'm not suggesting that the golf is the same or the quality of course is the same because they're probably two very distinctly different styles. But in terms of a, a concentration of quality courses within proximity, it's got some real sand belt fields about it, mm. right? Because it's literally like you've just rattled off five or six courses on a 17-mile stretch of road and mm. then another probably handful that are within another, you know, I suppose hours drive, much like the Mornington Peninsula is from Melbourne. So yep. there are not a great deal of regions in the world where you get such a concentrated volume of quality golf. No, exactly right. And I think that's kind of what brings people to that region. I mean, there, there are a lot of, you know, Airbnb opportunities there and, and hotels and all that sort of stuff. So in terms of golf trips, I mean, it's obviously pretty hexy if, you, if you're going to do it. <laughs> but, you know, there's some pretty impressive courses that you can play that are public public golf courses mm-hmm. um, within, you know, sort of 15 to 20 miles of Pebble Beach itself, there are at least seven or eight golf courses, which is serviced by um, Monterey Regional Airport. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty sort of accessible and, and um, to a lot of people. So, yeah, it's... Um, it was very, very cool just to kind of see it and you sort of get lost in amongst all the, you know, as you drive in, you're like, okay, this is Pebble Beach. This is where they play the PGA Tour every year and this is, you know, one of the most famous golf courses in the world and you're watching people come down 18 and obviously the tree on the right-hand side and, you know, watching people dump it into the bunker on the left and into the water and all that sort of stuff and it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool to uh, kind of actually stop and reflect on it and think about how cool it was to to stand at the back of 18 and watch people play in. You, you mentioned the aura, which was probably something else I wanted to touch on in terms of how noticeable it was. Like, obviously, you didn't get to, as you say, really take any further step foot into somewhere like a Cypress Point, but even going through like a Spanish Bay, which is mm. a an ex- relatively accessible course just to go and have a look. Is there a distinct difference when you walk onto the property at, at Pebble Beach? Like you understand, not just because you're a fan of the game and you appreciate its history, but is it obvious even just walking into the place that it is, I suppose, a special venue yeah. in the context of the game? Well, I think it is because there's so much sort of history around as well that kind of explains it for people. It's got, you know, a list of you know, US Open winners that have been there, the the winners of the AT&T that have won there surround the practice green. There's the famous mm. clock tower. There's the starter's hut. 
um, the museum's pretty cool. The the shops are all broken down by brand. Um, you know, essentially you've got Nike, you've got all the, all the brands are, are in individual shops and um, just, yeah, there's, I think there's about, I don't know, nine different shops um, of just, so the grandeur of it is what kind of jumps out to mm -hmm. me, you know, just um, even for Amy, right. Who wasn't, who's not a golf person. I think she was kind of like, you know, wow, this is like, this is big, you know, considering mm, the golf courses yeah. that we have here in Australia, it's just, it was, it was big. And, um, I think, you know, when she saw how impressed I was by it, that kind of rubbed off on her a little bit. So, um, and that's not to say that there's anything against Spanish Bay or Spyglass or any of the ones that are around that I think Pebble kind of just jumps out because it is so famous and it is so accessible. Um, Cypress Point, I mean, intrigues me perhaps more than pebble beach but that's because the blinds are closed right you can't get in mm. um you kind of sort of slow down and drive past and um the road is very narrow so you kind of just try not to crash at the same time <laughs> um but yeah it's yeah it was um yeah pretty i guess the i guess the grandeur really jumps out at you and that's that's the thing that you're like wow this is yeah this is pebble beach i guess anything outside of the diminutive nature of the 18 green that you saw that took you by surprise? Well, I think probably just, the, as I say, the tee box on one, I just was not expecting any of that. Um, I probably expected a little bit of, I guess, the starter and all that sort of stuff, but I didn't expect you to be called up on the tee. Um, and, and just the condition that they were able to keep the course in, considering the weather that they had had while we were while we were there was very, very impressive. Um, the, the, the viewing platform from the back of 18 that you're able to just kind of see out, you know, all the way around the peninsula, um, and see some of those holes that lead in. Um, I think you can, you can probably, you definitely see 17 and you can kind of see, I think it's four and seven, like in the very, very distance you can kind of mm. see. Um, so it's pretty, like that kind of jumps out at you when you're there that you're like, wow, this is very, very cool to cool to see. And if we had more time, I'm sure we probably would have tried to sneak some of those roads in different areas to get a better look at some of the holes on the other side. But um, yeah, the, the, the green on 18 absolutely jumped out to me because it looks enormous on TV and it's um, very, very small in real life. So new appreciation for the guys that can hit it. Let's uh, let's talk brass tax. So first and foremost, foot traffic was it busy? Uh, I'm ju I'm just thinking. Obviously, a price point we've spoken mm -hmm. about. It, it is not a. It's public, but it's yep. certainly not public in its price point. It's a, sure. not a uh, cheap place to play. But I'm also thinking, um, you were there kind of early March. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Timing right. So I yep. mean, it's still West Coast, so it's not terrible weather, but it's not the best time of year to be in, on the West Coast. So was it? Still relatively busy, given those factors. Well, it actually surprised me how dead it actually was. I mean, there were players out playing and there were groups coming through steadily, but no one was waiting um, on any group. Um, and probably in terms of people just kind of walking around, there weren't that many. Um, so it was pretty 
dead when we we were probably really the only two people kind of walking around i mean all the shops were relatively empty we were we were really the ones the weather leaning in had been pretty shit there so they had mm-hmm. um, so i maybe that kept a few people away but um yeah it was it was pretty dead i mean it's very expensive to play i think it's around 500 us around um which is you know with our conversion at the minute somewhere around 700 i think um mm. australian which is you know when you if you're not taking yeah. golf clubs you've obviously got to hire clubs get a caddy do all that sort of gear it ends up i think i ended up costing it at around 850 bucks or 900 or somewhere around that and you know it's just it just wasn't feasible uh did buy the hat as you you can see and yes and i bought a shirt as well so i think they were Combined, I think they were about a hundred bucks between the two. So I was actually pleasantly surprised by that. Um, hundred US, obviously, so hundred fifty all up. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. So it's a good result. And that was going to yeah. be my only other question: is we can obviously see what's on your head, but uh, the shirt as well mm. uh, was the other purchase in the pro shop. So all right, that's that's. Uh, I was going to say Pebble, but probably more broadly the Monterey region, and yeah, the Monterey Peninsula, yes, um, for golf. Yes. Is there anything else before we move on to golf item number two that you wanted that you feel has been left unsaid about the Monterey Peninsula? No, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, it is, as I said, it's just a, a very, very cool vicinity of um, things to see. So I'm, uh, I'm very, very glad that we went and did it. Um, and yeah, glad that we got to spend a little bit of time there. So excellent. The next one we're going to talk about. Um, it's not necessarily obviously in concurrent order because you did not go from the Monterey Peninsula to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, one of the great cities, um, yes. not just in America, probably um, in terms of a global city and its attraction uh, for yeah. its culture, one of the great cities, Nashville. Uh, whilst in Nashville, uh, um, amongst consuming a great many elements of the culture, you did um, manage to play around. Uh, yes. And this was pretty special i think in the sense that keen listeners and those with a good memory would um clock that in that period of sporadic programming while you were away um you had recorded a few chats prior to leaving one of them was from uh sorry with a gentleman by the name of jeremy who runs a account on instagram called paired up golf um the headline being uh he has spent some time now traveling around the country with a great variety of human beings um, whose stories that he shares and tells through his social platforms. It was a wonderful interview um, and you were fortunate enough, Drudes, to kind of continue that conversation and organise to have a round of golf with yes. Jeremy. You were, in fact, the subject of Paired Up uh, there for a day. <laughs> this is, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I guess probably... Broadly, before we get into the the golf, I guess Nashville uh, out and out was the, our favorite place that we went to. It was easily my favorite place. I think just even if you're not a fan of country music, you you can you get swept up in it, um, and it's very very cool in and of what it um, is. I guess in terms of Broadway being the honky tonk bars and country music. Aside from that, um, you've got a massive university in Nashville, uh, Vanderbilt University, one of the best sort of medical schools that you can go to in the US. Um, they've also got a really great golfing culture, as I was kind of finding out from from Jeremy. 
Um, so we played at a course called McCabe Golf Course, which was about 15 minutes uh, outside of downtown Nashville. Um, now, I guess probably the most famous course in Nashville um, would people would know would be Sweetens Cove. Um, and unfortunately, that one didn't work out to play there. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, just a little too far. And obviously, you got to book in a long way in advance. But we ended up at McCabe Golf Course, a little uh, municipal golf course. Um, looking back at the map, I think it's it might even be twenty seven holes, or they might might be eighteen. Um, can't really remember, but it was it was pretty busy for just a Wednesday or Thursday morning that we played. We kind of just rocked up. Um, and they have one of their nines is uh, always just for walk-ups. So you can't book it, um, and it rotates around between the uh, between the nines that they have there. Um, so, of course, we rolled in and, and sort of um, I think it was about, I don't know, it was about 30 bucks for me to play with hiring clubs as well. Didn't obviously have the best set of golf clubs, uh, but uh, managed to – to uh, hit the ball around. We didn't pair up with anyone else. Um, we just played amongst ourselves, which was great. It was awesome to chat with Jeremy. He's a very, very good golfer. Plays off about one of one or two. Um, and just to get a bit of the history of, of McCabe of, um, uh, and, and the golf course and sort of compare some of the differences between US golf and Australian golf, um, there's a uh, sort of hiking trail slash walking trail that sort of runs around and through the the uh, the golf course. And McCabe Golf Course, uh, I think I might have put the photo on Instagram, can't remember, but um, its uh, logo is an old aeroplane, an old like warplane. And um, it was that because Jeremy was informing me that um, McCabe Golf Course used to be essentially the uh, – like a, an airport during the war um and uh post war it got developed into um into a golf course which is um been very well regarded um amongst municipal golf courses in in Nashville given its proximity to downtown some great little restaurants around uh around there as well and just a real um welcoming sense and and community sense i guess was you, you could see it um very much from the very first tee box uh, course wasn't in the best condition. It was pretty cold in Nashville. So it had been baked out and kind of dead, but uh, you could see it was starting to come back. Tricky little greens um, throughout everywhere. We didn't, we didn't keep score. We just kind of went out and enjoyed ourselves and um, hit a few balls. I did actually manage to make a genuine birdie, uh, which was quite unbelievable um, given the set of golf clubs that I was utilizing um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was great fun. That was, um, one of the best days that, that, that I had, uh, on the trip was obviously just getting to talk to talk shop and talk golf and talk about his incredible trip through all 50 us states and talk about, you know, the differences between golf in Australia and the U S and, and I guess maybe just a bit of an, uh, history of Nashville and, and why it's such a blossoming town, um, was, was really great to, to um, spend some time with Jeremy and he's a wealth wealth of knowledge and I can't wait to read his book when it comes out. So uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed McCabe, uh, McCabe golf course in Nashville there. See there was a bit of time between the Ray and uh, McCabe course, but well, uh, I'm just interested given what we just spoke about Monterey and the juxtaposition that was this local muni 15 minutes outside of the CBD 
great community feel, no booking required, walk-up start, higher clubs. Can you appreciate the, I suppose, unique attraction of both experiences? Because as a fan, you go to a place that's steeped in history like Pebble and you appreciate it. But I can see in your faith and why you tell story that personally you probably enjoyed that experience more. Uh, it, it strikes me as quite unique thing about the game that it, it, it does encompass so many different experiences. I I think you, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like I think that also probably talks to the the sort of golf that you and I both like. Mm. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that I would have absolutely loved to have played Pebble if it had been in, in the price point for me to do it. And maybe one day that will, will happen. And, it is a very, very different golf experience, as you mentioned. You've got, you've got all the traditional rules that you've got to follow in terms of dress code. You know, this McCabe was much more to what I play here in Perth in terms of it's that public golf feel, that sense of community, the ability that you're not really – like no one's out there to set course records. It was just very, very chill and very relaxed. And I think – you know, you do you feel a million miles away from standing on that first tee at Pebble Beach watching people tee off when you're standing on the first tee, <laughs> tee at McCabe. Um, you know, just just differences, obviously, in, in the way that the course is set up and presented. I mean, they're very wide fairways at McCabe um, as opposed to, to Pebble, which seemed a little narrower and, and stuff like that. But I guess for me the ability to play a, a municipal course with a friend and get some of the understanding of the area and what it, what the golfing scene is in Nashville, as opposed to just kind of walking around Pebble was more fulfilling for me, I think. And that's probably, I think, um, I think that's probably not, not too uncommon. I wouldn't, I wouldn't thought. Mm. Um, I think you know mm. the ability to to be with a local and kind of learn about things as you go along was um, was really special. So, yeah, love love that day. I wonder just finally on your round in Nashville. So it was it was evident in the conversation you had with Jeremy as part of the initial interview, but spending the day with him, uh, do you think it's not lost on him the experiences? he has had by virtue of loving this game. Mm -hmm. So my mind casts back to a conversation we recently had with you and Porter and the story he told about playing the round at New South Wales with Nathan Folliwell, the mm -hmm. drummer from Kings of Leon. Yeah. And I kind of remarked at the time, this is a fucking amazing game. Yeah. That it can bring together two people in a situation like that over a common love of hitting a tiny fucking white ball <laughs> around an open green field. Yeah. And yeah. sure... You're not you and Porter, and Jeremy's not the drummer from Kings of Leon, but the principle is the same. Correct. Right? You're literally two guys from opposite ends of the world who have been brought together by a common love of the sport. And he has had so many of those individual experiences over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Like spot on, right? And I still send him messages. Uh, now we talk about golf, and I send him photos if I go out and play. Like I played on. Sunday here at Marangaroo and all the kangaroos were around. So I sent him a photo of, of that. Um, I, th you, you're spot on, right? Like it's the, the ability for me as a 29 year old idiot who hosts a golf podcast to travel to the U S on my honeymoon and line up a golf game in Nashville 
with a guy who has been incredibly successful in this industry and chucked in a job that he wasn't really enjoying and and went off and did his own thing. And and we spoke about that for quite a while, actually, in terms of, you know, just kind of not getting too deep into to life and the meaning of life, but um, just about him in, in terms of working and, and basically saying like he, he got to a point in his life where he's, you know, I, I wasn't loving what I was doing and I needed to find a way to, to love work essentially. And so he went off and did his own thing. And I think, you know, it's such a unique game and, and we've all had those experiences where it is, it generally is where you get paired up with someone that you go, generally your first thought is shit. I don't want to be paired up with someone. I just wanted to play and relax. <laughs> and then you start talking and you go, wow, this is actually really incredible. Like I, I pass my mind back to many times where it's happened. You know, I played at Royal Pines over your way with a mate when um I was in Brisbane for work and, you know, played with this guy who was um selling software essentially to Google and like just amazing stuff like that, that you go, I didn't even mm. realize this, like side of the world existed and because we all get mm. wrapped up, wrapped up in our own little world. So, you know, circling back to your question, it was like, yeah, you, you know, it was, um, and it sounds very stupid because it was a $30 municipal course, but it was genuinely one of those pinch yourself moments for me because I was like, I'm in a pretty, I'm in an incredible city with amazing music and culture and food playing a game I love with a mate that I've never met before I'm texting him in the morning saying I'm standing out the front of my hotel and he's coming to pick me up and he's like yeah I'm in I'm in the RAV4 I'll see you in a sec like it's just bizarre that golf kind of connects people in that way and um yeah so I think it it was very very special for me to try and um to obviously have those few hours and we went and had lunch afterwards and continued to chew the fat and um, yeah, it was great. It was a really, really good day. And, um, you know, can't wait to get back to Nashville <laughs> one day. One day. Uh, I think that neatly, neatly probably takes us to your third and final yeah. golfing experience. Um, because if you were to, if you were to, I suppose, map a chart of, uh, Pebble Beach being the first place you visited, um, playing McCabe mm. as a municipal 15 minutes out of 10 in Nashville, and then rocking up to the Butler pitching putt in Austin. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, again, a completely unique and different golfing experience, which uh, probably for the second time in the space for now, it's going to sound like I'm blowing smoke up my ass, but you, it wasn't even on your radar. No. I sent you a message yeah. saying I'd heard about it. I'd read a little bit about it. It sounds like a pretty cool, I suppose, idea. Mm. I'd love you to go along and just see how it plays out in person. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the Butler Pitching Putt in Austin, Texas. Well, it was great that you did send a message to me because now I can write the entire trip off on tax uh, that it was <laughs> it's a work trip. It was a work trip. <laughs> um, no, look, this, um, this of the three might have been one of the best individual golfing experiences that I've had, I think. Um so kind of didn't really didn't really know what to expect with Austin in its entirety, to be honest. The capital of Texas, but you've got enormous cities, Dallas, Fort Worth, mm. Houston, San Antonio, that, that kind of monster Austin. You've got the University of Texas there. 
So didn't really know what to expect. And we got there and we absolutely loved it. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit about that in a minute. But essentially jumped on one of the uh, Lime scooters over to, to Butler Pitch and Putt um, and rocked up with just no idea on what the hell to actually expect or how this even operated. So I kind of walked in and said to the guy, I said, look, I don't know. I said, I don't know how this works, mate. Like, you know, I'm from Australia. You know, what, what, what can I, what can I do here? You know, what's the wait time? Do I have to book? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So he's like, um, hi, uh, I think it was $11 for nine holes. Um, each club that you wanted to hire was a dollar and each ball was a dollar. So I think it cost me about, I don't know, 15, 15 bucks, I think in total to, to play this nine holes. You get your ball, you then drop it in the old school, uh, like tube that when your ball gets to the front, that's your turn to tee off. I was at the, uh, there was only about two balls in front of me. So I was the third, by the time I got to the front, I was chatting to the, uh, the unofficial starter. Uh, there so uh <laughs> very this. very different uh starter uh feel to uh pebble beach oh, you're not called yeah. onto the tea box um anyway so we, we were just chatting and and talking about golf and and whatnot and um i just said look I, i'm here on my own um if anyone you know the guys behind me want to pair up i'm more than more than happy to do that whatever as i'm kind of saying that this uh father and his son um son was probably about about our age walked over and um the starter said do you want to pair up with this guy from australia you know he's he's about to tee off and they were like yeah sure so we um we played together the three of us um through butler pitch and putt um nine holes longest hole was about 100 and about 110 meters so i got a pitching wedge and a putter that was it um so had to adapt from there uh thinned the first tee shot onto the second <laughs> green which was a good start um and yeah so obviously astro tee boxes uh greens are a, a little bit funky like you know nothing too crazy but um you know good good for a bit of a uh, bit of entertainment um incredible that they have put uh that golf course on such a small piece of land um and more, even more incredible that more people weren't getting hit by golf balls because it was not a place that's <laughs> um, attracting great golfers. Let's say um, sure. it was it was very much more entertainment. You know, some some billboards kind of throughout. You know, with anchorman sayings. Um, as you get to the end of the fifth hole, I think it is. There's a permanent uh, sort of like little dinky truck that's parked there that they've renovated the back to be all eskies, and you buy beers. Um, there's, uh, beer holders at every tee. Um, and then sort of back at the, the very first, uh, hole we stayed and had a, had a beer afterwards. Um, they've got a burger van there. They've got, um, um, cornhole. They've got like an outdoor sitting area. And by the time we got back, the wait time for tee off was over an hour. Um, so no bookings. It was just, you, you just, you just rock up and, um, Really interestingly, when I was talking to uh, to to the guys I was playing with, um, the son actually lives in Austin. They were from South Dakota, um, and over the the road um, there is a place called Peter Pan Mini Golf, um, and that uh, is on not a huge parcel of land, um, but essentially they um, the these developers have been trying to buy that slice of land. 
for around $15 million for a long, long, long time. And um, it has never, never got through. Um, and uh, the point of the story was that essentially they've got a lot of people wanting to buy but Butler Pitch and Putt so that they can develop it, but they've turned it into this great little community um, pitch and putt type thing where the golf is secondary to everything. And it just, it's a great little community venue. And I honestly think that something like that would just go so well here in Australia, the ability mm. to have just n it, it not even be about the golf, but uh, a place that kind of fosters community where golf is just the catalyst for it. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was just probably one of the best individual golfing experiences that I've had um, because we don't have anything like that here in Australia and pitch and putts are obviously pretty big over in the U S but, um, yeah, I must, uh, obviously give you the hat tip for, uh, putting that one on the radar. You've probably skirted around it without necessarily giving a great deal of detail. Can you contextualize for the listeners? Like this is genuinely in the city. Yeah. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's, we're not necessarily saying it's like. Flinders Street Station in Melbourne, or you know, you know the the Telstra Tower in Sydney, but it's not like it's not McCabe. It's not get in the car and drive fifteen minutes out of town. You are in the middle of Austin City, yeah, playing walk up golf. Yes, yeah, correct. Like from the capital, the Texas Capitol building, which is bigger than the the U.S. Capitol in Washington mm. D.C. It's probably maybe like a twenty minute ride on one of the scooters. Like it's literally across the river. Uh, you can walk mm. back over the footbridge and be at the JW Marriott or the Four Seasons within ten minutes, essentially. Yeah. Um. So it's it's pretty much bang right bang on the banks of the river, um, and so many golf courses sort of just kind of around that area as well. And I also think it was very busy because uh the PGA Tour event was on in Austin at yes. the time. Uh, the 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 Dell match play, but that's it. That's about an hour outside of Austin. Um, mm. so yeah, it was very. It's it's inner city. I would class it as inner city. It's essentially like putting a par three for people listening here in Perth on the banks of South Perth, or mm. you know, I'm not even going to try for any of the other cities because my geography is shit. But you know, it's it's. Bang, oh, on, bang in the middle of the city, right? Like it's like putting something in in South Bank, I guess. For I was you just in about to say, it'd be a pitch and putt in South Bank in Brisbane. Mm. Um, quite literally across the river, walk mm -hmm. back over a footbridge. Mm -hmm. It's actually got a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Look, I think I think it for me. I was really keen for you to go and experience it, and then equally as keen for you to recount it here because it bucks the trend of what we're seeing here in Australia in the sense that people are elbowing each other. And when I say people, I, I mean um, city administrations are elbowing each other out of the way to close down mm. courses in inner city locations. You know, yeah. Sydney's hotly contested area. Um, the Victoria Park golf course here in Brisbane is being um, repurposed into uh, an Olympic equestrian venue um, and will long-term be a green space in the middle of the city. Um, we're only seeing golf courses go one way mm. in the city. And I'm not equating the Butler pitch in part to a genuine 18-hole um, golf course. Yeah, but yeah. I don't, to your point, it's not 
the golf is secondary. It's about what it generates. It is, you know, your, your playing partners are, are a prime example. It's dad visiting son from South Dakota who both clearly love golf. I could try and get dad in the taxi and get half an hour to 45 minutes out of sight of Austin and we each pay 150 US to play. Or we could just go and spend some quality time together meet some random Australian, have yeah. a bit of fun, have a few beers, have a burger afterwards and have literally just as much of a good time. Yeah, correct. So I think it's like when I when I first heard about it and then I read a bit more about it and and obviously now hearing it through you, I think it's it sounds to me like a very special place and clearly it means a great deal to a great many number of people evidenced by the fact that you can hold – $15 million offers at bay to operate a little pitch and putt. Mm. Correct. And, you know, I think the, you know, to your point there, just talking about the, um, the green spaces, literally you walk out of the, the entry and back onto to Riverside drive it is, and there's a massive park opposite it, um, mm. and, a, and a dog park on the, on the foreshore. So they've kind of, you know, got that stuff around, around them as well but yeah what they've done i i think is just create something that genuinely fosters community and it's not and like i say the 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 important part for me was that it wasn't full of gun golfers right it wasn't yeah it, it wasn't something that was like okay i'm gonna go and hone my game here there might be people like that that do that and sure but what i saw on the day that i was there mid midweek i think it was maybe a thursday or friday 10 a.m in the morning was not that i saw people with families going around mates groups of mates people like me just wanting to to experience it and you know the the fact that we couldn't even really get a seat afterwards was ever was evidence that it's just building um, a community in a city that is growing massively um you know but people often compare austin and nashville um mm. as to to the two cities and and there are a lot of similarities absolutely um but yeah it for for something as so rugged and natural and just you know it's, it's not well maintained it's not a you know an, an amazing the greens aren't rolling at 13 or 14 then and, and they're not pure right like it's it's a genuine community feel about it and i think that's what i keep coming back to so yeah i I, it was a great recommendation from you okay that's the golf um that's only taken us the first part of 40 45 minutes so that's good it's good uh good look i think as i said three really unique experiences and i think that's awesome like i think you could have gone and had three of the same um and it would have been nice to go and see some of the most pristine and immaculate courses in America, but I think to have the more um, authentic mm. uh, salt of the earth, as many people would call it, <laughs> golfing experience, to your point, is much more aligned to um, our collective ethos here at the 19th C. So I'm, yes. I'm, I'm very glad, as I was at the time, as I am now reflecting with you, uh, that you got to have those experiences. Now, I mentioned at the start that I'd given you a list of questions. We've gone through the golf experiences specifically. There is a few kind of I wouldn't necessarily call them rapid fire because there's probably going to be a story to each of them, but they are 
pretty direct and to the point. One thing I realized today when I was kind of reflecting on the questions that I sent you, I didn't really give you an opportunity to cover something that is is clearly, as we've heard, um, ad nauseum for the last kind of four years, very important and close to your heart. So question without notice, and I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just to speak directly to um, what it meant to go back to Eugene in oh, Oregon. Yes. Um, and, and I suppose probably as part of that, sharing that um, place that mm. means a lot to you with um, – with you, with you now, beautiful bride Amy. Uh, how is how is the the homecoming to Eugene, Oregon? Uh, very cool and very special. Um, I know we often joke about it and and we laugh about how shit Oregon is in when they bucket some of their sports and and whatever. But um, yeah. So driving from uh, San Francisco to to Eugene, we stopped a night in a very very shitty place called Eureka uh, in California. <laughs> Uh, would not recommend going through there ever. Um, we left our motel at uh, about 4 a.m. Uh, to get on the road to, to Eugene. Um, pretty cool driving back in. All the memories start to come back very quickly. And and it's funny how, you know, when you, you check into a place and, and we kind of got there for, for a baseball game and you walk over to PK Park there and, which is right next to Otson Stadium and you're walking over the bridge and, and through the woods, as they say, and all those things kind of just come back to you of the experiences that I've had both going to school there and, and visiting and and then to walk around the campus itself and see how much it's actually changed in what, what's been 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's been a long time, was, was pretty special. And to kind of explain to... Amy, you know, this is where I lived, you know, when I went to school here and, oh, wow, that building wasn't there. And here's what the track and field uh, stadium looked like when I went here. And here's where my friends lived and they were in this fraternity and here's their fraternity house. And just like stuff like that was really cool to be able to share that um, and just kind of see how Eugene has changed and and grown. Um, I mean, it, it it's it's still a city, but it's, it's still very much a college town. Um, if you take Eugene out of there, there's um, only a few sort of businesses that would kind of keep it afloat. And, um, you know, we went to a few few different college bars. I think we were there on a, a Sunday and Monday night, which was, you know, not obviously wasn't pumping, but it was really great to kind of just get back and, and see different parts of Eugene and all those, all the new developments and everything that, that they've done to it makes the uni look great. So yeah, it was very, very special to, to go back and spend some good coin at the, uh, at the duck store, uh, as you do. Um, and just, you know, got involved with some of the museums that they've built and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it was really cool. Really enjoyed, um, Eugene, always nice to go back. Probably never going to get back there. I mean, we were talking about that. We, we kind of said like, when are we, when am I ever coming back to, to Eugene? I'd love to come back, go back for a football game, but, um, you know, it's not the easiest place in the world to get to. So it, that's mm. uh, probably probably the swan song on Eugene, I'd suggest. How impressive is, uh, because if my memory serves, I mean, you, you kind of floated there, it's been 10 years. So mm. for those unfamiliar um, listening, Eugene um, and, of course, the University of Oregon, was the home of Phil Knight, the yes. founder of Nike, um, yeah. and he has maintained a very deep connection to the college, um, pumping an awful lot of cash yeah. um, 
I mean, he's obviously got a deep emotional connection, but it's certainly a deep financial one as well. Yeah. Um, with the college, and obviously, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying, in the time since he's been there, he's obviously built that quite literally world leading athletic facility, um, on the campus. So I suppose just seeing that in person, because that's always piqued my interest. I mean, um, a lot of the, you know whether it's the colleges in the SEC or the Big 12 or the Pac-10. Or, you know, there's so many big universities in the States, but yeah. they all elbow each other out of the way to have the best sure. of everything. Yeah. There'd be few colleges with a facility uh, as grand as the one that Phil Knight built for, for the Ducks. Well, you're right. And and essentially he has built um, – he's built – the university to where it is. I mean, I mean, they've had some fantastic athletes go through those doors, you know, Marcus Mariotta and Steve Prefontaine going back into the seventies and Sabrina Ionescu, you know, in the WNBA now and some incredible track and field athletes who have done wonderful things at, at the uh, Olympic level and, and great coaches like Bill, Bill Bowman, who was obviously instrumental in the foundation of Nike, but Phil Knight's contribution is, second to none um the basketball stadium which was recently built uh before i went to school there is named after phil knight's son who passed away um so that's matthew knight arena he has um they have just recently built a new science center um which is named the the phil knight science center and then what you're alluding to there is the the sporting facilities um adjacent to to otson stadium uh, which i think has two full pro uh, two full-size practice fields one a further one indoor world-class gymnasium and then just everything that fo a football player or person could ever want there's a small museum there with marcus mario's heisman trophy which was cool to see um it, it's I, I mean yeah you can only see so much from the outside, but so Googling it will give you a great appreciation for what it actually is, but it's, it's truly phenomenal. Um, and let's not forget that this is built for the football program too. I mean, um, there are obviously a lot, a number of other collegiate sports that, that Oregon sponsors. Um, but yeah, the, this is for the football program, which is undoubtedly the biggest revenue generator for for the school. But it's um yeah, it's quite it's actually quite phenomenal to to stand there and and you can only see from outside in what the Mashovsky Center, I think it's called, what that kind of looks like in inside, and you've got Otson Stadium there. It's these are huge huge assets to um to the college, particularly when they're going out and recruiting. Um, these kids to to sign to Oregon um, in Eugene in a place where it rains a lot and the weather's not great and it's not the most uh, it's not the most appealing place to go and live and play college football when you've got the likes of Florida and Alabama and whatever come and knocking so um, yeah it's his his roots run very very deep into um, into Oregon I think they kind of uh, there was a Twitter account that I follow that that kind of ran a, a bracket throughout March that was essentially the most influential um, influential University of Oregon person in history. And it whittled down to, I think, him and Marcus Mariotta at the end and uh, he won in a landslide because he is it, right? And, and I think there is um, – it's not spoken about much, but there is certainly a desire – 
for Oregon to win a football national championship before Phil passes away because he's not getting any younger. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there, there is mm-hmm. certainly – that is certainly a driving force uh, behind what, what the Oregon football team is doing at the, at the minute. So, yeah, it's, um, it's fascinating. And, and, I, and I do say I'm glad we did talk about Eugene a little bit because I'm – you know, we walked through Vanderbilt University. We went and saw, saw that while we were in Nashville. And, and it just, again, you kind of get that sense of community. So, you know, if people are going to the U.S., visiting some of these college places are actually really cool spots on the map to visit because they're not just shitty little towns. They're actually built out on community and school spirit and you know they're pretty cool to kind of pretty cool to see uh question without notice inside the question without notice you mentioned Go. the bracket bracket yeah. of most influential um people for the university of oregon i wonder where justin herbert finished in that bracket if he in fact was considered he was. because this this for mine so this for mine um put phil knight to one side he is Without question, um, you know he's he's one of the most influential people in international sport, somewhat like international business, sure. let alone the University of Oregon. So he is in a category of his own. But this, for mine, neatly articulates the difference in the reverence for NFL football and college football in the United States. Yeah, right. In the sense that you've literally just said it came down to a top two of. Phil Knight and Marcus Mariota, who Heisman Trophy winner, um, undisputed best player in college football in his time, and has drifted around the league um, to find a, a permanent home once yeah. once graduating. Yet you've got a guy in Justin Herbert uh, who didn't clearly reach the heights of Marcus Mariota as a duck, mm. um, but now, pending on who you talk to, some might consider him to be, in fact, the best quarterback in the NFL and he's often in a conversation that's generally led by Patrick Mahomes and closely followed by Joe Burrow, but he's not too far behind in most people's eyes and certainly in that conversation yet yeah. isn't necessarily from an Oregon perspective spoken about the same reverence as Marcus Mariota. Well, I think it's what they achieved in their times at Oregon, right? Mm. Like, you know, Herbert, what he, he was in not a great team at the time. I think, you know, I think we won two Rose Bowls at the, when he was there, but wasn't playing in a in a scheme that really fit him and and it highlights the difference between as we've spoken about many times the difference between college football and the NFL and just the way that they're run that the college scheme fit Marcus Mariota perfectly right it was it allowed him to show off all his attributes but once he got to the NFL he didn't have the arm strength he didn't have the the physical attributes to to match it in the NFL um so yeah it's it, it is amazing i mean i think people will Oregon people will always hold Marcus Mariota as probably uh I I would say it's a three-way vote between Mariota, Sabrina Ionescu and Steve Prefontaine as the three greatest Oregon athletes that that they've produced um given that even Marcus Mariota I mean he won a Heisman trophy and and took us to a national championship which we ultimately lost but he uh, I I was at school when I was there when Mariota was playing and you know, we used to go to bars that drinks were named after him. And, you know, he was, there was a mob of people who followed him on campus. Mm. I, I can only speak to it sort of through stories that I've heard, but that wasn't the same for Justin Herbert. That probably also comes down to the success. I mean, when I was there, Oregon was number one in the nation 
Herbert, I think, you know, might have got us into the maybe the top 10, top 15 rankings, but it certainly wasn't garnering the the national attention that we normally mm. normally got. So yeah, it's um it's amazing. I mean, th- there is a massive love for Justin Herbert amongst Oregon fans, like huge for what he he did achieve in his time at Oregon was was great. But now seeing what he's achieved at the professional level is amazing and and Oregon people are very much like that though they jump on the winner right um yeah. as yeah. as most sporting fans do so obviously obviously that's good uh I'm uh, again probably sound a little bit repetitive but I'm I'm glad you had that experience and Thank I'm you. glad we've you know been able to to share that because yeah we, we we say it tongue-in-cheek but it is a place that means a great deal to you so mm. special that you we're able to factor some time there into um into a special trip. This is going to be uh the the back end portion of the podcast. Yes. Uh, as I said, they may not necessarily be short answers, but they were phrased as short questions. And mm-hmm. I, I realized looking at them now, I didn't necessarily define best. So this sure. is a series of best questions. <laughs> yes. Um, I suppose looking at them, they don't. I'm sure. I don't need to say this because it's probably exactly how you've interpreted it. They don't necessarily have to be the best in terms of quality, because mm-hmm. like I'm pretty sure I know what the answer to the first one's going to be, <laughs> but that may in fact be more to do with experience, yes, or anticipation or build up. Um, so if you could be so kind as maybe just why, sure, why it was the best, it may not necessarily be quality. As I said, it could be a variety of different factors, but uh, best food on the trip. I do have some honourable mentions in each category as well. If that's sure, okay. please, absolutely, um, absolutely. I, I will start with the best though. Um, as you alluded to, uh, the best was Franklin Barbecue uh, in Austin. Easily the best. Uh, you know, I love barbecue and and smoking meats myself. And Franklin Barbecue is the most famous barbecue in the world. Um, the experience of it, waking up early, getting there at Seven thirty, eight o'clock, being tenth in line, the guys come out and say, "Hey, do you want some chairs?" And you post up, and that's it. You start talking to the people around you, and then you can leave after that if you want to. If you really want to, you can leave. Um, so we went down to the cafe and got a coffee and and came back. And and when I say we, I mean me and a couple of American dudes that I just met and just got to chatting. And the experience of then you know people coming around and taking your order and going inside and seeing it all and then experiencing Franklin barbecue for the first time is something that like I have genuinely seen on TV and dreamed of doing for a long, long time. Just being there, this guy who kind of put barbecue on the map um, was very, very special. And that's what Texas is. Texas is barbecue and everyone will tell you they've got their own little secret, but I think, um, you know, La Barbecue's excellent. Um, there's another one that started up Blacks, I think, is is a great place as well. But Franklin may not, and, and I heard this described to me, but it may not be the very best barbecue that you'll ever have on its day, but you can come back in a month, a week, two weeks, three months, and you're going to get the same quality as you did the very first time, whereas other places will kind of dip. So it's his consistency that kind of... Um, that kind of kicks goals. So I was, uh, I was bummed he wasn't there because I would have been really cool to meet him. But um, yeah, the the dude who was in line uh, first, the very first dude in line, got in 
at 5 a.m. from L.A. Um, and he flew in just for Franklin's barbecue and then was flying out at like 4 p.m. later that day. So, um, yeah. So just kind of really cool. That that was the the very the very best food that we had um, in terms of experience and quality. I would I would say so. Thoroughly Honorable recommend. mentions. Honorable mentions. Uh, L.A. Pizzana, um, a place that I'd seen um, on TV. Daniela Ditti is the Italian chef. Uh, just just phenomenal pizza. Truly phenomenal pizza. Got to experience that with uh, obviously Amy and and. Uh, a very good friend that we uh, hung out with at Oregon uh, on our drive, Santa Monica, Brophy Brothers, uh, arguably the best fish and chips I've ever had in my life. Um, wow. Reminds me reminds me a lot of uh, Frio here, just on the harbor. Real cool to see. In and Out Burger, uh, I had to put it on the list. It's just Obviously. we had it a lot. It's, it's so good. <laughs> it's out. It's outstanding. Uh, Rennie's Landing in Eugene. They do like these. Um, uh, like potato gems with like ranch sauce and cheese and bacon, elite. Robo Taco in Portland for tacos. Ox in Portland was a very fancy restaurant that we went to with uh, a good friend of mine who lives in Portland, Mark. Um, steakhouse type thing. Nashville, arguably the best tacos that we had, a place called Bakersfield. Uh, Florida Georgia Line in Nashville. Peg Leg Porker for barbecue in Nashville. Uh, cafe du monde in new orleans uh very famous cafe go at night what did you what did, what did you have a cafe du monde? the beignets the beignets that's yes, where you got to get yes. you got to get the beignets um yeah. go at night it's open 24 hours go at you know we we got it at eight o'clock um after dinner one night and literally just walked straight in and then went back to get some the next morning and the wait was like 45 minutes so go at night um and then in Austin, uh, Torchy's Tacos, which is a chain but was excellent, um, and a place called Yiro on um, uh, on the the main bar street there, um, which was great. So that was just a little food truck. So we love that. So they're the honourable mentions. If you're going back, if anyone's going to America, write, write some of those down. They're very good. Excellent. But, uh, yeah, I would have thought Franklin Barbecue by the length of the straight. Yes, easily. Um, similarly, best drink. <laughs> See, this is difficult because I, I'm, I'm you're not, not a big, you're not a big, you, you, no. variety is not the spice of life when it comes to drinks for truths. No. Uh, so, so this, this may in fact be more about the experience. Than well, the actual... yeah, you, you're right. I probably should have interpreted that a little bit, a little bit better, but um, you know, there were a couple of, couple of really cool experiences now that I think back um, in Eugene, they made us a, um, a few places along the way gave us free drinks when we mentioned we were on our honeymoon. Um, in Eugene, they made us some cocktail called a duck fart. It was like a shot. It was like, it looked like a duck had shit in water. Um, I don't know. It was like, I don't know. It was weird. It was all right though. Uh, we got a free beer from a couple <laughs> that we um, just, they sat at the same table as us after skiing in Utah. Uh, that was that was great. But I just wrote down like their array of beers in terms of Bud Light, Lone Star, Coors Light, Modelo were all we're all just standard great, but Portland's craft beers are next level. It's the craft beer capital of the US. Um, so that was great. Loved, loved the craft beers that we had there. I tried many, many of them, couldn't pick out a fave. Um, and then honorable mention to their range of seltzers over there. Do, yes. Don't mind me a seltzer. They have a lot, truly bloody, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you the, the, the amount that they had over there, but uh, yeah. Honorable mention to Seltzers. Best night. Yeah, see, this was tough. Um, 
Oh, I've gone with the Luke Coombs concert in Arlington. There it is. There um, is. I mean, if you'll indulge me, can I tell the story of this day? Oh, please. Because it was, Absolutely. This was a bit of a disaster um, of a day, actually. So we were in Austin, uh, two and a half hours south um, of Arlington, um, and we were catching a train up from there. There's very, very few sort of ways of getting between Austin um, and Dallas. So anyway, we're catching a train up, wake up, pack the bags. I open the emails to get the tickets, email there, train cancelled. So thinking, shit, okay. Probably the, like the one day that we need, actually need to be somewhere. Mm. So we jump on immediately, look at flights that are available. Uh, so there's a 22-minute flight uh, from Austin to Dallas uh, that we jump on with Southwest Airlines, who we've flown with mostly. Um, book that. Within 10 minutes, get a notification that the flight's been delayed an hour. 10 minutes later, another hour delay. So the plane's not taking off till 3 o'clock at this point. means we're getting in at 3.30. We're starting to get a little bit close to, mm. to things. So we're getting into Dallas. You've obviously got Fort Worth over here, and then you've got Arlington, which is in the middle of those two. Anyway, so we go to the airport, and we're like, once we check in, that's it. We're locked in. Our bags are on. Like you can't, we can't Correct. do anything different. So we sat out the front of the airport until the very last minute, finally checked in um, and uh, managed to get up there as we sort of uh, get in the Uber. The, the dude's like, you know, this is maybe I think about maybe 3.30, o'clock in the afternoon. The dude's like, yeah, you're going to, you need to hightail it right now to Arlington. So drop your shit off, get changed and get out there. And he was right because it was absolutely mental. There was like 80,000 or maybe 60,000 people trying to get to this concert. It was just a complete disaster trying to get anywhere near the stadium. So, But we eventually made it. Um, didn't know that you couldn't take in um, bags. So Amy obviously had a small handbag, like not, not very big. Um, you can only take clear bags in. So didn't really know what to do with that. Um, had to check it in for $25, uh, which was just a rort. Um, into the back of like a U-Haul truck. Um, and that, that feels safe. We were ticket 311. So do your maths on how much money that they've made there. Um, yeah. Anyway, we got inside. So it was it was unreal the, the night. I mean, I'm pumped to see him here when he comes to Perth, but just, yeah, just a phenomenal night to see an artist that we both love um, and some great support acts as well. So um, that gets my win. Other honourable mentions I just wanted to, to shout out. We had a great night in uh, Portland with my mate Mark on the Friday night going to Ox Restaurant and then to a couple of bars and some karaoke uh, later in the evening as well. And we went very well the next day for our flight to Utah. Uh, and then we also celebrated St. Patrick's Day in Nashville, which was uh, pretty pretty cool. Uh, we did a bit of a pub crawl that we paid for um, throughout the streets of Nashville and they kind of closed the main drag down. So they were Good fun, but Luke Coombs wins. Um, brief follow up: Is yes. there any is there any theory as to why he played in Arlington? Well, it's, as opposed to Dallas, or <clears throat> well, it's where AT and T Stadium is, right? The Cowboys yeah, play okay. there, so I, mm. he reckons they had sixty thousand in there. I reckon it was closer to eighty, given that there was only like a quarter of the stadium shut off so um yeah i imagine that that's where where he went uh that's why he for went that there. reason it was the first stop of his world tour as well which is pretty cool so that was pretty yeah, sick. okay um okay uh 
conversely, best day? Uh, I'll start with the honorable mentions here. Disneyland, just always a wicked day, no matter if you're a kid or an yep. adult. It's just it's one of the best. It's just awesome. Like, do it. It's expensive, but it just do it. Um, our second day of skiing in Utah was pretty elite. Like, we had nice blue skies, um, followed by snow in the afternoon. So that was pretty cool to see. But I've gone. The best day was the day that we um hired bikes in San Francisco and rode across the Golden Gate Bridge um, down to a town called Sausalito on the other side. Uh, you get uh, the ferry back, um, drop the bikes off, and then uh, sort of last minute we decided to go to a Golden State Warriors game, which was pretty cool. So that's the best day. I Yeah, anyone who's going to San Francisco, I just thoroughly recommend doing the, the bike ride across the Golden Gate Bridge. It's wicked to see. And then, yeah, that town of Sausalito is pretty pretty cool as well. And the ability that you can get the ferry back, yeah, big win, big win, because it's pretty hilly. So. The second last question on reflection um, <laughs> might be tough because I feel like all we've spoken about is uh, experiences. Sure. But best experience. Uh, all right. Uh, the um, honorable mentions Alcatraz in San Francisco was – Yes. That was very, very cool to see. I wasn't really sure what I was expecting with it, but pretty cool. Um, Oregon baseball game was cool just to go back and, and actually see the Ducks play. Uh, meeting Gunter Steiner yes! at LAX. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was I was literally, this is sh- shit radio. Um, I was I had this prepared and I was like, how have we not spoken? If we were going to get through the whole time, I'm holding yeah. up, for those not watching the YouTube, I'm holding up the photo that Drew sent me from, it was LAX, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, where he's arm in arm with, uh, of course, um, Haas team principal and the best man in Formula One, Gunter Steiner. So that's an honourable mention. Jesus yeah. Christ! So, I can't wait to hear. So uh, that was pretty cool. It, it, you know, we walked into LAX and um, we get to the Qantas thing, and there's three flights taking off within about 45 minutes of each other to Australia, Brisbane, Sydney, Perth, uh, Melbourne, and. There was no one really checking in. There was us in the pleb economy section and this dude in the business class section. And I kind of like looked over and I was like, he looks real familiar. And I said to Amy, I was like, I think that's Gunter. And she's like, nah, no way. <laughs> stupid, up, stupid me said it just a little bit louder. No, I think it's Gunter. And he turned around and looked at me and I was like, yeah, no, nah, this is, this is Gunter. Gave him the old thumbs up on you, mate. Anyway. Didn't think too much more of it. I was like, oh, I'll try and get a photo, you know. But anyway, in this point, we're called up to to check in, right? International flight, you got to have your passports. And, you know, we've got mm. pretty he- pretty heavy bags at this point. We're like, are we going to be under the allowance? So anyway, turn around and Gunter is checking in at literally the next 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 person over. We're about a meter away at this point. And I'm like, I've got no idea what's going on here with the check-in process. I couldn't care less. So I'm trying to pull the phone out. I've kind of turned to him and I said, Did you, can we just get a photo after this, mate? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's, so he's finished his shit. And like the lady's asking me all these questions. I'm a blank to her. I couldn't care can less. Can you shut up on getting <laughs> a photo with Gunter? So if you look closely in that photo. Okay, opening it up again. At my hand. More good you, radio. You'll see that my... In my hand is my phone that is yes. open yes. to the camera. 
because I'm fumbling around getting my phone ready to give to Amy to take the photo. And Gunter's gone, like tapped me on the shoulder and gone, she's got the phone ready, mate. It's all good. Like giving me the hurry up essentially. So if you look at that, you'll see that my camera is open waiting to take a photo with with Gunter. Um, So anyway, we took the photo and I said, he said to me, um, I I said to him, best of luck for Australia. And he said, thanks very much. And off he went. And uh, he obviously had TSA pre-approval in in terms of security screening that didn't get clicked onto his boarding pass. So he had to come back and get that sorted. So yeah, that was my experience in meeting Gunter, which is not the winner. No, that's an honorable Um, mention. So please. Uh, the best experience I actually had, um, you know, and a common theme, but it was in Nashville. Um, we last minute decided, so Nashville on Broadway is just a, a chaos, right? It's about 500 meters of just bars, literally butted up against each other, three stories, some of them. And on every story from 11 a.m. until 4 a.m. the next day, there is a band. And I mean like a full band playing, not just someone with a guitar in the corner, like a full band. And on the street, there are like tractors pulling trailers with people partying in the back. There are trucks with people in the back of whatever. And then there are these bike bars. Um, And essentially what they are is like a bar that wraps around and you sit on the outside with some pedals and you pedal and you make this thing go, which you don't. The guy at the front's got a throttle and whatever. But essentially we did this last minute. We're kind of like, "Eh, I don't really know what to expect. There's only two of us. There's 20 seats on this thing. Anyway, we ended up getting pa- paired up with this group who was on like a um, a joint bucks and hens party. Um, these American guys from uh, some some are from Texas, some are from Arkansas, and we ended up um, yeah just becoming good mates with them and went went drinking with them afterwards and went and had dinner with them afterwards and yeah it was just the, that whole experience of riding through the main part of Nashville while drinking beers on this pedal bike and high fiving people on the the street was yeah it was just ludicrous but it was the best experience by by a long long way thoroughly recommend mm. that so if you haven't already picked up uh yeah nashville was the place to <laughs> place to go nashville pretty good yeah uh now looking at this this is the last question and, and again <clears throat> as is often the case when you write things out and things play out mm-hmm. probably don't mean to end the questions on such a perceived negative but is there a, any particular regret Place yeah. you didn't go, something you didn't do. I mean, look, we, uh, I mean, um, it's not a regret, but I mean, New Orleans for us didn't really jump out. Um, it's not the safest of cities. So we were kind of on edge a little bit. I think mm. um, probably the two regrets are that we didn't time some places better. Like Oregon um, played basketball on the Saturday night. So had we have timed it better, we would have, been in town for a basketball game um and also probably just not booking better accommodation across the board particularly when we were driving obviously we stopped in some smaller towns and we stayed in some pretty shitty motels um so if you ever need recommendations on where not to stay i can give that to you just (laughs) avoid eureka entirely eureka yeah (laughs) it was awful one of like one of the worst places i've ever stayed in my life um actually no the worst place i've ever stayed in my life um but yeah, I think that was kind of our thing. Even when we got in in Disneyland, you know, um, we stayed in Anaheim for two nights, and not that we spent we spent probably like a grand total of three hours awake in the room, but you know, we I had I and that was in a motel, but I wish we had just had the hotel just for that sense of luxury. We were mm. on our honeymoon type thing, so that was kind of our regret when we got back that we didn't 
upgrade our accommodation a little bit. When we got to Portland, we were staying in a motel that was attached to a hotel and we kind of got in and we were like, bugger it, let's just upgrade to the hotel. And we did. And it was probably one of the better things that we did. So they're probably the kind of two regrets, just timing it a little bit better with some sports stuff. But um, yeah, all in all, bloody good trip. Enjoyed it. Certainly sounds like it, mate. Uh, I, I'm glad. This has played out exactly how I had hoped it would Excellent. Uh, when I when I had envisaged it. I think for me, one of the things that stands out, um, obviously we, we kind of spoke, we fronted at the golf and that was excellent and the, the three very unique and wonderful experiences you had um, on that front. But this kind of back end, talking about all those different things you did um, and pull me up if I'm off the mark here, but mm. overwhelmingly often people particularly in our country, have a perception about America and the United States. And I'm sure that if you go to certain places, you will mm. walk right into that stereotype. But sure. seemingly an incredibly um, collectively friendly experience. Oh, uh, 100%. I've lost count of the amount of times you have mentioned, whether it was at the Butler Pitch and Putt or it was at Franklin Barbecue or it was in Nashville on the bike bar where you literally just got paired up with randoms and spent the better part of half a day, if not more with yeah. people you'd never met in your life and couldn't have been happier about it. So yeah. that, that for me is probably when I hear about all the collective experiences, the overwhelming sense that I get. I think you, you bang on, right? And, you know, I think early on we were very, we were very much keeping to ourselves in terms of, even LA and San Francisco as our first couple of stops. But as it went on, we were more open to, you know, sitting at the bar and starting to talk to people and just get, just talking to them and hearing about their stories. And, you know, we met some really cool people along the way that, you know, friends on Facebook and Instagram and whatever, and you, you stay connected through whatever. But yeah, I think I, I don't really have, there weren't any, really unsafe times or people that we met that we walked around that we were like, ah, oh, you know, he was a dickhead or whatever. Like it, it was people are genuinely fascinated with us as Australians as we've, we've traveled so far to be in their country. And I think they, there's a sense of pride with that, that they go, oh, mm. wow, you've actually come a long way to enjoy it. And, you know, it was, you know, I think back to the, particularly in Nashville, because we kind of thought we're really looking forward to this. We're not really sure what we're going to get and it exceeded all our expectations, but yeah, there's just so many different places along the way and, and people that you meet and you go, wow, this is, this was a pretty cool trip. And I guess, you know, that's what, that's what traveling is about, I guess, in, in some of those senses and to bring it back to a golf thing. I mean, like I, along the way, you know, you talk about meeting different people and putting yourself out there. It's, it's exactly what Jeremy did on his trip throughout those 50 States. Right. And, mm. um, you know, just meeting new people and finding out new stories because there is, there is a big world out there that's, you know, bigger than Perth and bigger than Brisbane and bigger than Australia. And yeah, I think, you know, when, when you do travel a long distance, we crammed a lot in and we met some pretty cool people and, did some cool stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a wonderful trip. And I think, you know, certainly a once in a lifetime sort of trip for us anyway, because um, yeah, it was busy. It was a busy 28 days. I think we had 11 or 12 internal flights. So you didn't leave anything out there. No, as they say, <laughs> uh, thank you, mate. It's no, been, thank you. Uh, 
as is the age old saying, you're only as good as your talent. Uh, you've been very generous. Um, I felt like I was very... a guest on the show tonight. This is... Yeah, which <laughs> must have been a unique uh, feeling. It was cool. Different experience. Uh, but yeah, you've been very generous in kind of taking us inside what was obviously a, a special trip for you on a variety of fronts, not least of which it being um, your honeymoon. So mm. uh, thank you for for sharing the insights. Thank you thank for you. sharing the the highlights um, and, and thankfully not too many lowlights. It's been yeah. a pleasure to recount that with you. Uh, I hope it's been of um, some light entertainment to the folks who are usually um, used to hearing us talk. Um, it's been a little bit, it's actually been a while. I've actually reflecting on it today. It's been a while since we rambled yeah. on other topics. Mm. Um, so, you know, no doubt as the Australian tour goes through its hiatus and once we get through the majors, there'll be that two or three month period where you and I um, generally find an excuse not to talk yes. about golf. Uh, but, yes. but it's been a while and it's been nice to do something a little bit different. Great. Uh, so, thank you, mate. Uh, thank you. As we said at the top, Plenty coming. Uh, you've got one in the can with Tommy Power Horan, of course, the man who yes. ran second to Mika on the Australasian Order of Merit this season and in doing so locked up his DP World Tour card for next year. So that's coming out, which is a great chat. I know you enjoyed that one. And as we kind of flagged at the top, we are a bit over a fortnight away from the second men's major of the year, the PGA Championship. So a full preview of that coming as well. Uh, we'll be back in your ears sooner than you think. Thanks, mate.